0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Our visit today with Wesley Smith, senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, continues. Wesley's book, by the way, Culture of Death: The Assault on Medical Ethics in America, available through Amazon.com. As well, you can get more information through his website. Information too on his blog, found at Secondhand Smoke. Details online at WesleyJSmith.com. That's Wesley WesleyJSmith. J. We're talking about a a very troubling paradigm shift that's happening in the medical community. It's happening certainly at the level at which uh, the services that are provided by physicians are being paid for. Uh, For example, what's happening in nationalized health care in countries like Britain, the shift that we see taking place in the same direction here in our own nation. We're suddenly now motivated by concerns over lacks of resources, whether it's an issue of living longer, living healthier, Um, living safer and therefore not having as many organs at our disposal to transplant into other individuals, or simply saying we only have so much money, so we have to somehow come up with a yardstick by which we measure who gets the money for one treatment and who does not. All of a sudden now, we're seeing a massive erosion of what had been the foundation of ethics in America. And it's I would seem to... Wesley, that a big part of this is seeing a, the slow erosion of what had been the, the guiding light, so to speak, the moral compass of America, the Judeo-Christian ethic. Absolutely. It said to us that life has an intrinsic value, not comma if, but rather life has value, period. We, that hold, period these. Has
2: been, we hold these truths. Yep. It's been changed from a period to a comma. It's been changed to to a comma, and there is a great deal of persuasion to get people to say that life doesn't necessarily have uh, value. Moreover, that human life as a value itself is irrelevant. What matters is certain capacities. So in the animal rights movement, uh, which I believe we've talked about, um, it isn't the being human is not what gives value. It's the ability to feel pain. Now, this is not animal welfare, but animal rights. And so PETA brought that lawsuit against SeaWorld trying to declare whales to be slaves. Why? Because in in that, tech, that uh, belief system, there is no moral distinction between whales and cows and squirrels and people. Uh, in uh, uh, some radical environmental groups, human beings are not only not... Uh, uniquely valuable, we're the villains of the planet. We're the AIDS afflicting planet Earth. And so we have become, uh, look at that movie, um, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the remake, starring Keenau Reeves. In the original version from the 50s, Michael Rennie, the alien came down to Earth to save people from themselves. In the Keenau Reeves remake, the alien came down to Earth to commit total genocide to save the Earth. And that was an A-list Hollywood movie. That was the, 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 so there are anti-human agendas. Humanism is morphing into anti-humanism. The concept of human exceptionalism is being disdained and attacked. The sanctity of human life is being discarded. If the church falls prey to this, and I don't think it will, but realize the church, how did the church begin to gain uh, credibility in ancient Rome? It was rescuing babies exposed on hills and raising those children as their own. It was nurturing and caring for the poor. We uh, Christians showed ourselves to be a different ethic from the reigning pagan culture, which was very harsh. And
1: that ethic, that value, was not extended exclusively to ourselves and our own camp, but
2: extended beyond our borders. And and look at the Sisters of uh, of Missionaries of Mercy, the Mother Teresa's group. They had an AIDS hospice during the height of the AIDS uh, epidemic here in San Francisco, and I moved to San Francisco in 1992. It was horrible to see. What a catastrophe for those young men. The Sisters of Missionaries of Mercy took them all in comers, Catholic or non-Catholic, that's what Christianity is. And yet, under this new Obamacare rule, the missionaries of mercy, because they weren't restricting their care to Catholics, would have to cover contraception in the nuns' health care plan.
1: Obviously, we're in a, a very critical position right now. We're, we're, at, a, we're at a crossroads where... Our action or inaction is, is really going to determine the direction of our nation, of our planet, uh, forever to come. In, in a few moments, if you would, as our time winds down this afternoon, Wes, give us some insights in terms of what needs to be the, the marching orders here for the church.
2: I think, uh, and you would know the Scripture uh, where to find this, but when in the separation of the goats and the sheep— mm-hmm. I was hungry, and you fed me. Mm-hmm. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was sick, and you cared for me. This is a paraphrase. Uh, and when did we do this, Lord? When you did that to the least of me, you did it on uh, my brothers. You did it onto me. That good. That whole um, discourse really focuses me. If we end up in a place where we start discarding people, we could end up on the other side of that equation. I was sick and you killed me. Mm. I was old and you abandoned me. What did we do that unto you, Lord? When you did that onto the list of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it onto me. That for the church is a clear dividing line.
1: It takes us back Again, in that passage of Matthew 25, to what we saw demonstrated in the dangerous slippery slope that took place in Nazi Germany. We made references to this earlier on in our conversation today, uh, that when they came for the Jews, I wasn't a Jew, so I said nothing. When they came for, and we just ticked off the list of individuals, they came for the communists, I wasn't a communist, so I did
2: nothing. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak up for me. But we also have to be careful not to say... uh, this is Nazis because people will look around and say, "Wait a minute, we're not se- seeking Heil and we're not setting up death camps," and yet. and yet, <laughs> and the the things the Nazis did in terms of the medical uh, Holocaust, the sterilizations, three hundred forty thousand people involuntarily sterilized in Germany that came from the law of California, our euthanasia, our sorry, eugenics law the uh, the medical Holocaust of the euthanasia murders of the disabled babies and the uh, the disabled adults under the T4 program, Tiergarten 4. That was not being forced by the Nazis. That was doctors doing it because they wanted to do it. And advocacy for that began with a book called Permission to Destroy Life Unworthy of Life by a lawyer and a doctor, Alfred Hoch and uh, Carl Binding, back in 1920, before anybody had ever heard of Adolf Hitler. By 1927, a majority, according to polling, a majority of parents of disabled children thought it would be okay for doctors to kill them. There was that kind of push in the 20s, long before Hitler adopted some of these policies as his own. So this
1: isn't less than to say, let's take action so it doesn't happen. The reality here is, let's take action so it doesn't happen again.
2: Yes, and also realize that it isn't just the Nazis, that people who are nothing like Nazis can fall into this well, if they reject the concept of the intrinsic dignity and exceptionalism and value of human life. Once you say some lives have greater value than others, particularly in the healthcare context, you start down a logical road. We are a logical species. We will go where our principles take us. And if we say that Grandma Jones has less value because she has Alzheimer's than Wesley Smith, then we have started down a terrible road that can end in exploitation, oppression, and killing.
1: And as we delineated earlier, this is not something that might begin happening. It's already a contested issue. It's already a debate within the medical community in Great Britain. And And here. And here, too. And here, debate, not actual happening, but debate. Get more information, get educated, get involved. Details again on the web. Wesley's got all kinds of great resources available. Just go to WesleyJSmith.com. That's WesleyJSmith.com. And Wes, as always, we appreciate the time
2: and the insights. Now you see why I'm so much fun at parties. (laughs) Thanks again, Wes. Thanks.
3: Starlight shines The night is still Shepherds watching from a hill I close my eyes And see the night When love is born A perfect child Gently wakes a mother bends To kiss God's face I close my eyes And see
1: Many of us feel that Christmas is all about the decorating of the house, feasting and shopping, and the exchanging of presents. And while enjoying the festival with our near and dear ones, we should remember that the festivity takes on a greater significance if we celebrate it with the real spirit of Christmas. Being a Christian, I know that Christmas is a time to reflect and celebrate the birthday of our Savior, Jesus Christ. During this season, we celebrate the greatest gift the human race has ever known, God's gift of Jesus Christ, His Son. God, in His love and mercy, saw our spiritual need, and so that on that Christmas night over 2,000 years ago, He sent forth His Son. As a child, I used to long for December. It was always heartening to attend Christmas Eve services, sing carols under the soft glow of the lights in the cold of December, and be greeted by the arrival of gifts placed carefully under the tree. As I grew up, I started wondering about the essence of the Christmas season, and I came to know more about Him and the reason for celebrating His birth. The Bible says we are lost and separated from God, but Jesus Christ came to bring us back. For all have sinned against God and are far away from His presence. But by profiting from the gift of God's grace, all of us could be saved. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Unlike any other baby, the one that was born that night in Bethlehem was unique in all of history. He was not created by a human father. He had a heavenly pre-existence, as we see in John 1 verses 1 through 3. He is God, the Son, creator of the universe in Philippians 2 and 5. This is why Christmas is called the incarnation, a word which means in the flesh. In the birth of Jesus, the eternal, all-powerful, and all-knowing Creator came to earth in the flesh. Why would God do such a thing? Why would He come as a child instead of appearing in power and majesty? Why would He make Himself a true man and live among us when He knew full well how terribly He would be treated? It was love. So Christmas in a very real way is the celebration of God's gift to the world, His Son. It brings hope and gives a new lease on life. It means a time to reconcile and submit ourselves completely to Christ. It means a time to help the poor and needy, share the joys and pains of loved ones. Let's forget everything else this season and bring Jesus and His teachings to the center so that this Christmas turns out to be the most joyous celebration ever. As part of that joy, I've always wondered about the reflections of older believers, those who have lived in Christ for 30, 40, 50, 60, even more years. Joining us now is a very special guest, Reverend Ephraim Treadle, whose ministry on radio and television here in the San Francisco Bay Area and internationally has spanned more than 50 years. He joins us now with his reflections on Christmas. A
4: song... A gift. We thank you, Lord, for this new day, a gift of life and a gift of grace. We enjoyed your supper of love divine with the redeeming blood from your cross. We now, enriched in our daily trail, can sing the joy of your sacred heart. May all the world which we try to embrace Receive the abundance of peace and grace. A song of joy. Today, a song of joy came in my life and filled my heart with memories and love as I remembered all the gifts received when needed comfort in my fragile life. It was your love, my friend, and was your strength, your understanding, and God's own answer, grace, that saved me, and then it chased away the fear the darkness of those days and all my tears. But now, my friend, I walk again with you to share the dreams that finally came true. In love, we can now sing our thanks to God, enjoy the peace so gratefully received. Child of God You, Lord, my love, have given me another day of joyful celebration, so beautiful, so warm, so human and divine that nothing upon this earth can be compared to it. No ocean's beauty or desert's intact vastity, no waterfall's solemnity, no mountain's heights, no all men's conquests, No vastity of the skies can simply be compared just to the sweetness of your godly infinity and human hearts. We know of your divinity of the world you have created rich of marvels and the promises for an eternal life. But Mary's child was born in the simplicity of human life. The miracle of love then was revealed. A child with human body, beauty and life, hiding the beauty of you, the Eternal Father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, O Jesus, humble and weak, lost in my fragile dreams. I need your hand, O Jesus, to lift me up, to give me strength for another day. With you i see the way as I wake up each day in the splendor of life. With you I will embrace the marvels of the Spirit, the splendid waves of God, the infinity of His love. Jesus, I love you so, and as you hold my hand, I feel your strength, I am falling in love again, and feel my human hearts walking in peace. has brought me the vision of a life of joy because my world now is a divine child who is teaching me love and is teaching me peace. So I turned to my daily routine with a spirit of joy since God's Son gave me feelings of love from a crib to blossom in the embrace of a whole life. Christmas is vibrating in my daily chores with candles and gifts and embraces of love. So I will try to prolong that sweet feeling of peace made of intimate joy so that Christmas may open its flowers of joy for me along the road of my daily chores. As the melodies of Christmas are still vibrating in our thirsty world, let's continue a joyful adoration of that infant in the crib, joyfully embraced by a joyful mother, happily cared for from a very proud father, and we look and we love. Christmas may seem now long gone, and the shepherds are leaving the crib. But their joy is so great, and I'm sure that they still come to visit dear Joseph and Mary, still close in the hills, and joyfully the shepherds come by just to see how beautiful is that Jesus. I am sure that we still meditate on the feast just celebrated, the birth of our Christ, And we know in our hearts those sweet moments, and the lights, and the gifts, and the songs. And I wonder if we keep in our hearts all the joy we can have when walking with Jesus. Now Christmas is going away, and we go on our trail. But I hope we remember the joy, the dreams we enjoyed at the birth of Jesus. And I hope we remember the joy of a family and the joy of rich and poor when the price of a life is the life of a heart. Blessed by God. My dear friends, today I had the pleasure to have some visit. Elderly people who are in need of comfort. You have a lot of wonderful things to do, and you kind of forget the world outside. So much so that the other day a friend took me out for a quick visit, and in the middle of a city where I lived for almost 70 years, I was lost. The changes. When you have the type of life I have every day where all I have to say is to take all the pills the doctors will give me. And those two or three things that pertains to the community like some prayers in the morning. I do other things like play the piano for somebody who is uh, tired to be alone. But it's an assurance but it's a life. Now at Christmas particularly I really feel the isolation in which I am because there are the gifts, there are the decoration. particularly, those who are in need. I enjoy for example a couple of evenings with associations where all the members were brothers and sisters and Christmas was the theme of the whole evening, so anticipating the real day for me. But when I come back here, all that world outside goes down and you remain with what you have. When there is Christmas or any specific days that call our attention more than usual, because every day is a gift, every day is an encounter with God, Every day is a step forward, but when these occasions come, we stress the presence of beautiful things like the birth of Christ, to become the son of Mary, the little boy in the hands of Joseph, the center of our Christmas. In the birth of Christ, we see the utmost miracle that we can expect above any other miracles that A God that has created me is in three divine person. And then we see that it's God to save me, to love me, to ensure me that I will have an eternal life, not just this life. So when I think of this, but I am old enough to see that my life won't last more than a few years. It seems like it's not a very happy thought. But it's a reality. At the same time, it's a joy. Because if you believe what I believe, we not only are we are happy that Christmas is coming and going and time goes on, but if I think that I believe in a soul, in an eternal image, then I go above that. It's just one door that we go through. And I'm thinking instead, like all saints to fall in love with God. And it's not always easy because the world is full of distraction. We are attached to this and to that, to our job, to our health. All this go and we have heaven. And it's kind of funny because uh, I ask anybody, would you like to go to heaven? And they say, yes. You want to go tomorrow? say, no. So I inquire: is the yes wrong, or is the no wrong? Shouldn't it be vice versa? Will you believe in another life? Will you be happy when you can embrace the God you are talking about? I will say yes. I look at the life of St. Francis, and St. Francis gave up everything. I mean, it was crazy. He gave up everything just in order to serve God, and he died after spending months in a grotto looking at a cross and feeling in his heart what Christ has suffered before he died. I look at other saints, and they all tell me the story. Some they look at the things around them, and they saw that there were just fragile things on our walk toward God. So I have all the reason to say that even this Christmas, with the coming New Year, are important in our life. It all depends what our life is, what our faith is. And then we can choose between what is good and what is better than good. A God that has created me. And then we see that it is God to save me, to love me, to ensure me that I will have an eternal life, eternal in love. Well, since uh, myself, I think of my family too, and I, I must think of you too. Like many of those who are with me here, they may suffer, they cannot get together with their family. But if you are listening to me now, I don't have to tell you how precious is Christmas, because being happy and being satisfied It doesn't depend from the things we have, or the freedom that we have, but from what is in our heart. It's up to you and your faith. I just wish that everybody understand, to say, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year.
1: Reflections on Christmas by a man who has spent an amazing 70-plus years in full-time ministry. In April of this year, he published his most recent book, and in May, celebrated his 90th birthday. If you'd like to send a note or a card of encouragement to Reverend Treadle, you can write to him at Rev. Ephraim Treadle, Number 1 Thomas More Way, Suite 10, San Francisco, California, 94132. That's Reverend Ephraim Treadle, number one, Thomas More Way, San Francisco, California, 94132. And as Ephraim Treadle would say, Christ reign always. Merry Christmas.